All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Anthony Costello, and this is the Equal Justice Podcast. Uh, the Equal Justice Podcast is a forum for all those who seek truth, value tradition, and fight to defend the foundations of a moral and just society. I am once again joined with uh, Dr. Ernest Calvin Weissner uh, from the Cornwall Alliance. Uh, we've had uh, Cal on before to talk about the difference between biblical justice and the current kind of social justice that we're seeing in our culture. But today we're going to take a little bit of a turn towards um, what would just say Christianity and the climate. You know, the, 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 um, the conversation on climate, climate change, and environmentalism that in addition to maybe something like the current discussion on race and racial, racial justice is, a, is kind of a big hot topic issue um, that is driving a lot of our uh, political debate right now. One, I want to start off with a more theological look at Christianity and how um, Christians are supposed to think about our engagement with uh, the environment, with God's creation, okay? And, you know, one of the things that I saw years ago um, that got me thinking about this was I was still in the Army. I was at, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, doing intelligence work for the commanding general. And uh, there was a 2009, I believe it was a 2009, the uh, Copenhagen Cl uh, Conference on Climate Change. I believe it was the one that Obama didn't go to, and he sort of got some criticism for not attending. But I remember watching that as an analyst and had to do a little write-up on it. And I remember this conference on climate change opening up in a very sort of, with very sort of religious and symbolically, symbolic overtones. I mean, they had like a, like a choir all dressed in black. There was singing hymns and almost chants. It looked almost like Protestant chants, but they yeah. were not obviously to the creator, right? They were to the creation. Yes. And then it, it went and it, they had video streams from sort of children around the world in Africa, Asia, and America sort of pleading with the lead, you know, political leaders, leaders of business. Save us, save us. Save us, right. So, I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, give us a little bit here first, maybe sort of from a Romans chapter one, 18 through 32 world, biblical worldview. Because you're very involved in the Cornwall Alliance with in the envir environmentalism and this sort of climate ideology, give us some insight yeah. into what might be going on here globally. Well, uh, let me just remark first that uh, the very, very religious and pagan religious, uh, what um, uh, color or texture of the whole uh, Global Climate Summit uh, series has become increasingly uh, prominent over the years since the uh, uh, Copenhagen summit, uh, which I attended, by the way. <laughs> oh, you were there, excellent. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Saw that live. It was so, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, right. But you know, more recently, we've had uh, we've had prayers to uh, various different uh, uh, traditional uh, gods and goddesses of of uh, past. Uh, South American cultures, uh, mm. native, uh, indigenous right. cultures, and so on. Uh, and it's very, very clear that this is uh, explicitly moving away from Christianity, which uh, in some respects I welcome because what it means is that it's a whole lot easier for Christians to recognize just how uh, anti-Christian this is. 
uh, the, the mask is coming off and right. it's not being ripped off so much by critics like myself as it's just being taken off by the people who are involved in the movement. So right. I think that's a good thing. Okay, yeah, and so I saw, I'll just reference this. Uh, I don't know if you were, uh, saw any of the Amazon 2019 oh, yeah. Amazon Center, the Vatican. And we'll yep. link some videos and articles on that where there was outright worship of, or were prayer to Pachamama in, within yes. the confines of the Vatican. Sacred dirt was put up on the altar right next to the consecrated body and blood of Christ. So for any Catholic out there, uh, oh. also very disconcerting oh. to see this kind of return to maybe the old gods, if you want to say that. Very much so, yeah. very much so. Good. So let's go ahead and um, jump to Romans 1, and then I'm gonna move from there to Genesis 1. Um, in Romans 1, of course, we read that, uh, that those who refuse to worship the, the, the creator wind up worshiping the creature one way or another. And when they do that, uh, God gives them over to a reprobate mind, professing themselves to be wise. They become fools and they start to worship birds and, and beasts and, and right. creeping things and themselves. And I think that's probably what happens more than anything else is that people start worshiping themselves. Um, so you have a substitution of the creature for the creator. And there are a number of things that come along when that happens. One of them is simply uh, the abandonment of the transcendent. Mm -hmm. uh, the, and when you abandon the transcendent, you also wind up abandoning perpetual truth, unchanging truth. And truth becomes highly flexible. It changes rapidly over time. And that means that narrative, particularly narrative based in my own personal experience, substitutes for truth. Or my group and, experience, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, or group experience. And so the, the, the result of that is that it becomes increasingly difficult uh, to, to, to debate with people like this. Um, for example, when folks make claims about global warming or climate change being an existential threat, right? And they'll just throw this term out uh, with abandon and it's basically expressing their feeling about it. There is truly a great deal of anxiety about this, especially among very young people. Uh, a fair percentage of, of uh, people under the age of say 20 actually think that humanity may cease to exist by 2050 because of climate change. Right. Uh, that's pretty fearful. That's, that's a very frightening idea. Um, and yet, if you try to go to hard data, you just lose the, the attention completely. They're not interested in going there. Uh, and they wouldn't know what to do if they saw the hard data because it's all become about my personal experience, mm -hmm. experienced truth. It's kind of like a theologomena, truth. A theologomena, you know, a uh, overlaying of the the actual data with with an yeah. existential story yeah. that so gives it doesn't, some higher meaning, higher purpose. Right. So it doesn't matter to them yeah. when you say, well, look, you can go all through the thousands of pages of the technical reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and not only will you never find language like existential threat or catastrophic or something like that, you won't even find any data that backs such fears. 
Um, actually, the IPCC uh, thinks that the world will be much, much better off at the end of this century, even if we did nothing to combat climate change. Uh, and that's just the opposite of the popular message. So, so it's almost, I mean, would you say then it's almost like we could um, say that the, the climate change narrative that we get, that is not the scientific. Oh, no. No, that it's not. Is a, that is despite a, it's, yeah, despite right. Despite the constant mantra, follow the science. <laughs> if you right. deny this, you're a science denier. I mean, it's, it's the, the exact opposite is the case. So it is clearly an, an overlay yeah. where, while it's not even really matching up to the scientific project, yeah. right. it's actually going against much of it. Exactly. So going back to Romans 1, the creator-creature distinction, right? Um, The the biblical worldview says that an infinite, eternal, unchangeable, rational God designed an an, an omniscient and omnipotent God created, and a faithful God sustains the created order, the whole universe, including the earth. And we're told, for instance, in Genesis 8.22, that God actually made a covenant with himself following the flood, that as long as heaven and earth endured, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night would not cease. That is, all of the the cycles, the the, uh, geological, the the geophysical, the uh, geobiological cycles on which life depends, God would sustain. Now, the whole fear of existential threat climate change just simply uh, runs in the face of that promise of God himself. So the biblical worldview says that there is this creator and that there is this creation. So there's the distinction between the two. The vast majority of the environmental movement, by contrast, is either materialist, naturalist, Mm -hmm. secularist. There is no God. Matter and energy in motion is all that there is. Uh, Total naturalism, which, by the way, I I think C.S. Lewis did a really great job in, in deconstructing naturalism in his chapter, The Problem of Naturalism, in his book, Miracles, Mm -hmm. uh, in which he said, look, the real problem with naturalism is that it's the argument that there is no such thing as argument. Yeah. That is, it's self-refuting. Because if matter and and energy and motion is all that exists, well, there's no such thing as thought. Two billiard balls meet on a table. They don't sit down, have a cup of tea, and discuss, okay, where are you going to go after this? (laughs) They just exchange energy and they ricochet off in the opposite direction. (laughs) Uh, So naturalism is uh, fundamentally Mm -hmm. anti-rational, despite the fact that secularist naturalists claim to be the real rational people and, and accuse uh, theists of being irrational. It's quite the opposite. Well, right. Okay. So that's interesting because one of the, um, one of the charges, one of the allegations that's made oftentimes by, oh, maybe everybody from the very modernist atheist, like a Dawkins, sure. to even now sort of like critical race theorists mm-hmm. who want to say that Christianity or Europe, the European version of Christianity has been about, you know, which would be white Christianity, has been about dominating uh, the earth and plundering 
the earth's resources because it's all about just usage and exploitation. Yeah. Um, so and we'll go there in a minute. And yeah. If, if we get to Genesis one. Okay. That's right. Right. We'll finish the and then yeah. we'll, we'll move on maybe to that charge that's often levied again. Yeah. Uh, so a large part of the environmental movement is secularist, atheistic, uh, materialist, naturalist, right? Yeah. But much of it is also instead not secularist, atheist, but instead pantheistic or panentheistic or animistic. Now, in pantheism, God is everything. The universe is God, right? In panentheism, God is to the universe as the soul is to the body, right? He inhabits everything and, and he, he, his life is the life of the universe, right? As my soul's life is the life of my body. And when the Bible says that I die, the Bible defines death as the, 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 uh, the spirit is absent from the body, okay? The body without the spirit is dead, says James. Or uh, panentheism, uh, then, yeah, that's what I just talked about. <laughs> uh, and then third is animism. And that's the notion that, okay, there are lots of gods and goddesses and they inhabit rocks and trees and streams and mountains and forests and, and animals and things like that. Now, all three of these though, pantheism, panentheism, and, and animism, also deny the creator-creature distinction because they all deny the transcendence of God over his whole creation. So uh, ironically, the secularist materialist and the pantheist, panentheist, animist worldviews all converge together into one in terms of denying the creator-creature distinction. Now, if we go to Genesis, of course, we get that creator distinction, creature distinction. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then everything else happens after that. So if we're, if we're wanting to find out what Christians should be doing in terms of our use of this earth into which God has put us, we start really with Genesis 1:28. Uh, having created man, male and female, in his image, Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves on the face of the earth. Right? Now, you mentioned that some people think, Ah, well, Christianity is just all about you know, plundering the earth, exploiting it, uh, abusing it. And they will even root that in this very verse. In fact, a very, very famous essay by uh, Lynn White Jr., who was a medieval historian, published in 1967 in Science Magazine, and since then reprinted in who knows how many anthologies mm -hmm. used in environmental uh, science and environmental ethics courses uh, at universities all over the world. White said, look, Genesis 1.28 was the the uh, uh, the rationale, the justification for Jewish and Christian thinking to support the idea that, look, we can just abuse the earth any way we want to, and it doesn't matter. Now, of course, you can go through all the rabbinic commentary and all the, the Christian commentary on Genesis 1.28 and never find that kind of an idea. It's an utter caricature, mm -hmm. uh, completely false representation, but it's stuck. And so a lot of environmentalists think that. 
Instead, what we need to do is to look at the context of that verse and figure out, okay, so what, what is proper dominion? What, what would this really look like if we were to subdue and rule the earth in a way that is consistent with God's own behavior? Well, we look back to the fact that we are created in God's image. So we're supposed to mimic him. We should represent in our actions what God does. Well, what do we get in the previous 27 verses of Genesis? God created the heavens and the earth. He started with nothing and he got everything. That's pretty good. So the better we get at getting more and more out of less and less, the better we reflect the image of God. He brought light out of darkness, light being a consistent biblical uh, metaphor for truth. And so not only do we have this light by which our eyes are able to see, but we have this understanding, this truth by which we're able to, to understand how to properly use the world. And then he brings order out of chaos. He separates the water from the land. Uh, and he, he shapes things, right? Then he brings life out of non-life and tremendous abundance of life and variety of life. And he tells every variety of life, every, every kind of life, to be fruitful and multiply and fill its niche in, in the world. And so our dominion should reflect God's. Right. It should be a dominion of, of bringing greater and greater returns out of less and less stuff. Mm-hmm. It should be a dominion of uh, bringing greater and greater order out of mm-hmm. less and less order. It should be a dominion of bringing life out of non-life and variety of life and abundance of life. So in the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, which is the ministry that uh, I founded back in 2005, and we have uh, just a little under 70 scholars now uh, in our network, and about a third of them are natural scientists, a third are economists, and a third are theologians and philosophers and so on. Uh, we define this dominion, we, we call it godly dominion, right? We say godly dominion, means men and women made in God's image, working lovingly together to enhance the fruitfulness, there's this abundance of life, and the safety, there's this order out of chaos, and the beauty of the earth. This is, you know, partly truth. Truth and beauty are always connected. We are to to enhance the fruitfulness, the beauty, and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and to the benefit of our neighbors so that we're addressing the two great commandments to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's true biblical uh, earth stewardship or biblical dominion. And that's not to say that there haven't been people who under the banner of Christianity um, did not... um, try and exercise dominion in a sinful way because sin is his part and parcel of every endeavor that we undertake. Yeah, both sin and ignorance. Yeah. People people have done terrible things to the earth out of ignorance. Right. They've also done terrible things to the earth out of just flat out evil in their hearts. Sure. Yeah. But there is also this truth that the, the very gates of hell cannot prevail against Christ's church. And as, as the gospel continues to spread, as more and more people come to know Christ, and this is why with the Cornwall Alliance, we focus on really three things tied together, integrated. 
One is teaching about biblical earth stewardship, mm -hmm. another about economic development for the poor. But the third and the overarching one is the gospel of Jesus Christ, together with the worldview, theology, and ethics that come with that. Sinful people like you, Anthony, and me, right, can be reconciled to God by his grace through his gift of faith and repentance to us, our faith being not in ourselves, not in the church, not in anything else, but in Jesus Christ and his his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection and victory over death and victory over sin, we can be reconciled to God. And then having been reconciled, our minds can be transformed. As Paul says in Romans 12, now don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can then uh, know the, the good and, and perfect will of God. So, if we want to see good earth stewardship, if we want to see good environmental uh, what, uh, stewardship, environmental care, we want first and foremost to see the gospel continue to spread over the earth and see more and more people come to know Christ, be reconciled to God, and then learn to do things the way he wants us to do us, to do good. I mean, that's, a, that's, this is a, a one, I mean, this is the wonderful biblical view. This is something that uh, hopefully people will be awakened to because that false yeah. narrative is obviously is out there and it's pervasive, you know, that Christians have no, either have no clue about how we should treat uh, the environment or that we have a clue and we don't care or, or something. Yeah. So let's get to some concrete examples then. Um, you mentioned the two, kind of areas that Cornwall Alliance focuses on once we have this gospel vision in place, uh -huh. stewardship for the actual natural environment, economic flourishing uh, mm -hmm. for people. So what might be so one concrete example of uh, stewardship of the creation of, uh, of the environment where maybe the secular story is not going in the direction it should to actually take care of the environment and no. we actually as christians do and have a better approach maybe to a a, a crisis if uh, yeah. it might be out there yeah through the, the environment first well practically any example you might give is actually going to turn out to be controversial uh, controversial in some ways and that's fine i, I don't yeah. mind that uh, but let me give you one quick example and that is uh that um, you know, environmentalists for a long time were saying, look, uh, deforestation is a terrible problem in the United States. Well, they started saying this in the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s. But the fact is that by 1900, the, uh, the, the acres of forest growing in America had stopped shrinking and had begun expanding. And by the mid, by about the 1970s, we had more forest growing in America than in 1800. And so we've have seen an incredible turnaround there and that's a very good thing. Uh, people will complain about so-called industrial agriculture, right? Industrialized farming. 
But what they don't realize is that the so-called industrial methods of farming using chemical fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides and the like, and using massive machines uh, to, to till the land and so on, what they don't realize is that that has so increased our average crop yield for a per acre that we need far less farmland now uh, to feed the same number of people that we did 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, but certainly far less than a couple of hundred years ago or a hundred years ago. Mm. So our improved farming methods that are condemned as industrialized have actually resulted in our putting less pressure on the earth Mm -hmm. because we don't have to farm as, as much land. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one other example here um, that, uh, well, let me, let me see if I can frame this well. Um, okay, a, a lot of the environmental movement just claims that are using fossil fuels mm -hmm. to provide electricity and transportation fuel and home heating fuel, things like that, uh, is, is causing catastrophic existential threat global warming because when we do this, we, we release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and carbon dioxide absorbs some heat radi radiating from the surface of the earth out towards space and sends it back toward the surface, making it warmer than it otherwise will be. That, by the way, is sound science. That's, you know, that's basic physics. Uh, and you know, I don't know any critics of global warming alarmist thinking who deny that basic idea. Mm -hmm. um, and, and certainly we recognize it at the Cornwall Alliance. But they will say, okay, so we shouldn't be using fossil fuels. That's bad stewardship. Now, the reality is very different. Fossil fuels, because they are extremely energy dense and power dense, meaning you get a vast amount of energy from a small amount of stuff mm -hmm. by comparison with, say, wind or solar, which are energy diffuse and power diffuse. Uh, you get a little bit of energy from a lot of stuff, okay, from a lot of wind or a lot of sunlight. Um, because fossil fuels are so energy and power dense, that means that we can get a lot more energy from a lot less stuff. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that, for example, you would have to cover over about a thousand times as much land with wind turbines as you do with a natural gas fired electric generating plant to generate the same amount of electricity uh, to, to, you know, light and power a city, for example. And so if we care about biodiversity, if we care about not, you know, constantly, you know, covering land over with development, well, then it turns out that the fossil fuels, um, coal, oil, and natural gas are a whole lot better than the wind turbines or the solar panels. Which I see every time I drive from here to like Palm Desert. Oh yeah. Springs, I used to huge turbine fields. Yeah. When I lived in Southern they, California. Yeah, they never look like they're they're going. Half of them are just sort of yeah. You know, not right after I graduated from the University of Southern California, I got a job driving a truck for a company that provided uh, 
construct pool and swimming pool construction supplies yeah. and materials. And I drove uh, three days a week out to Palm Springs, Indio, Palm De Desert, yeah. uh, so on. So twice a day, I would drive through the pass between Mount San Gorgonio and Mount San Jacinto, both of them snow covered even into fairly mid to late summer. It was a beautiful, beautiful drive, and I just enjoyed it every time. About uh, seven years ago now, my wife and I drove I-10 uh, from Arizona into the LA area. And as we, as we topped one rise before getting into that pass, uh, I looked down into that pass and it was just covered with turbines all over the place. And Anthony, I confess, I simultaneously wept a bit and cursed. I was so ticked off at the the destruction of that beautiful view. Yeah. And I, it's just amazing you know, that environmentalists talk about the, like the, that the, kind of the beauty part, right? Yeah. Right. Now we, we've we've right. um, we've taken what was uh, part of the beautification of God and we've made it quite ugly yeah. in the end. And it's more than I, I think it's more than just saying it's an eyesore. No, there's something oh. legitimately ugly about that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Hal, we'll wrap up here and maybe we'll have you back uh, another time to take a look at the economic piece. Great. Um, which I know you guys work on a lot there. And we will link to Cornwall Alliance. And I believe there was an article by Mark, um, something on Minds that Mark, uh, Mark Mills, a wonderful Mills. paper yes. by Mark Mills called Minds, Minerals, and Green Energy, a reality right. check. So we'll make uh, sure to add a link in there. Well, yeah. thanks, thanks. Through the end of April, by the way, we're giving a free copy of this as our way of saying thanks when people make a donation of any size and request it. Wow, we great. And this is important stuff for everybody in the church to understand, because like I said at the beginning, I think there's two narratives out there that are sort of trying to imminentize something that's ultimately transcendent. One is race, and this is the other one, is yeah. the environment. And as Christians, we have to be able to... Uh, approach both from this uh, from a biblical and robust theological uh, worldview. Right. So thank you again for your time, Cal. Thank you, Anthony. God bless. All right. Take, take care. care.